Hey there, welcome into another episode of the Pull Up Jays podcast. A lot going on today. In a little bit, we're going to have Matt Moreno from Go Easy Cats, the Arizona Rivals platform. We'll recap the ASU U of A game and then the reunion. Jeff Griffith, the former co-host of this podcast, comes back on to... I made him do a little little tough work, had to go back in his bracket matrix and S-curve, and he points out to us where ASU stands as far as their tournament resume, how likely it is they get into the tournament, and what they need to do going forward. But the one thing he did point out that was very key is without this Arizona win on Saturday, almost you could almost forget ASU's third straight tournament but that's all coming up in a little bit let's right now kind of take a look back at that arizona game asu obviously was trailing by 22 at one point they climb all the way back and pull out a 66 65 win over the 22nd ranked wildcats now a lot lot went into this game the first part i think everyone should know is both coaches are really saying that that 6-0 run by the Sun Devils was the biggest point in the game. Sean Miller was asked a ton of questions yesterday about the last shot that the Wildcats had where Josh Green kind of fumbled the ball and there wasn't a clean look. He was like, well, the game was lost or we could have won the game in the last minute of the first half. Instead, Max Hazard drives to the hoop, throws the ball off, Rob Edwards gets it, throws it up to Jalen Graham. Graham tips it to Remy Martin, who lays it in at the buzzer. All of a sudden, it's only a 13-point deficit heading into half. And it seemed like at that point, ASU had life. And that's all they needed because then coming out of the second half, Remy Martin hits two layups and then a three-pointer. So he starts the half with seven straight points. All of a sudden, ASU's lead is now what is 13 minus seven, six. Man, that was tough. Um. But you look at at what happened right there, and all of a sudden, now ASU's in a game. And realistically, that's all they wanted to be. Make this a game. Don't have the 28-point blowout like Tucson. Don't get embarrassed. You need this win. You need to at least get in it. And they did that. And I think that a lot of it goes to Remy Martin. The other important part and the thing that a lot of people have been pointing out so Jalen House kind of suffered from a concussion. He only played five minutes. Okay, Alonzo Verge came off the bench 28 minutes, had 13 points. Rob Edwards, this was an interesting stat line. It seemed like Rob Edwards hit five, six big, big shots. Then you look at his stat line, you're like, he was six of 16 from the field, three of 12 from three, and missed quite a lot. Only had 15 points, but all of his threes seem to be huge, which is just an interesting thing to... Um, dissect of his performance but the main thing that I think a lot of people want to talk to diverted around it for a little bit is Jalen Graham so Romella White played 24 minutes had only six points on three seven shooting not his best night the worst part is that he was in foul trouble early it eventually culminates with about a minute left he he dives on a loose ball gets called for his fifth and Hurley has to bring in Jalen Graham in most situations, that would have killed ASU. You need a couple points in the last minute of the game, and all of a sudden your best player's on the bench, you're throwing in a freshman. But Graham had been so good early in that U of A game. You go back and watch some of the film of, uh, Hurley was talking about it yesterday, of 
even though Jalen Graham only had four points, he had seven rebounds, two assists, a block, and he just got his hands on balls around the rim. He had a, the one beautiful assist where Tayshawn Cherry missed a three, Jalen Graham got the rebound and just dished it to the cutting Cherry, and that was beautiful. But then there's a bunch of other ones where he just outjumps Zeke Naji and and tips the ball up so someone else can get it, and he's keeping possessions alive. And for a freshman to do that, especially in the last minute of the game with Romello White out, that was very impressive. Might have been the the most impressive part of the game, just considering that he didn't have a big impact or really play a whole lot in the first meeting. Then he plays, and it seems like ASU's offense looks like a complete 180. Now, it's not all him. Remy, as we mentioned, was incredible. Tayshawn Cherry played a lot better. Only had four points as well, but when you look at it, he had five rebounds and another guy that just seemed to be around the ball at all times. And for Cherry, who only hit two of eight of his shots, he's been known to have a little bit of outbursts. Not always the most uh, positive guy when shots are, aren't falling, but to see him do the little stuff when his shots weren't falling, I think that was very important. But this is going to be interesting going forward because ASU for the first time all season really has their big win. This was a a quad one win, a big quad one win, as Jeff will mention a little later. And they have real confidence, real momentum. Now how do they respond to that? As Jeff will mention, he thinks they need to win about eight of their next 12 games remaining in the regular season, which would get them to 20 going into the Pac-12 tournament. Okay. Can they do that? Sure. But this is also the same ASU team that just seems to lose to a Cal or a Washington State or someone every single year and and just hasn't been able to form that consistency. And you look at this weekend, what's coming up? You have a bad Washington State team Wednesday at 9 p.m. Now, Washington State has C.J. Ellaby, who's the fifth leading scorer in the Pac-12. Aside from that, they don't have a whole lot. Yeah, they beat Oregon, but they don't have a ton of talent. As long as you hold their forwards off the three-point line, they shouldn't beat ASU. We'll see if that's a game that ASU has kind of drawn itself into past couple years where they make it closer than it needs to be. Then you have Washington on Saturday. Washington's an interesting kind of case study because they had the great freshmen coming into this season, and you look at where they're at in the Pac-12. Two and six in the Pac-12 second to last tied with Oregon State and then overall Washington's 12 and 9 this is a team who a lot a lot of people were picking to win the Pac-12 and if they lose to Arizona on Thursday I think it is all of a sudden they're going in deflated ASU if they beat Washington State is going to be riding a two-game winning streak have confidence like they really haven't all season that's a all of a sudden that becomes a very winnable game. I mentioned the the Washington freshmen. They have the the studs in the front court, Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels, who are averaging a combined thirty something points, thirty point eight. And this is going to be the real test for ASU season. They can't afford bad losses like Washington State, but they also need to start racking up wins, and you you can't lose games that are on the fridge if you want to have any shot at the tournament. 
that's why this Washington game is going to be so important. It's why Washington State, it'll be interesting to see how they come out. ASU, as I kind of mentioned, is, has been such a frustrating team for fans over the last couple of years because you, you see their potential and you see it so enormously. Think back to the guard you team two years ago. What ASU did against Kansas last year was something no one really expected, no one thought could happen. You see that team, and that's the same team that ends up losing two months later by 11 at home to Washington State. That ASU doesn't have that Kansas win, that Xavier win to hang its hat on. The U of A win is nice, but where the Sun Devils have dug themselves into a hole this season, they need they need to finish strong. They need to almost do what they have in the last five years and have a stellar Pac-12 win-loss record. Um, which, I mean, think about if they win, if they go and win seven, seven, eight games, which is very possible, very possible, especially when you look at that they've already played Oregon, they've already played Arizona twice. So, okay, can ASU win seven or eight games? And then you would look where that would put them in the, the conference. It would be, if they win eight games, that would put them at 11 and, hold on. They win eight games. It would put them at eleven and seven. That's not even. That's not even that great. That's not even that great. So look at what that is, and you start to think, okay, this is possible. But that's what the Arizona win allowed them. It, it allowed for us to have a, a tournament discussion and not really joke about it anymore. It's like, okay, there's a path. There's a path for them to make the tournament. Now can they be consistent? Can they do what they haven't in the last couple of years and and throw together a three game win streak and go in two on the road and sweep a road series and and it's one of those things like uh, I'll believe it when I see it. I I don't know. I, I just think that ASU is playing with confidence. They they have a, a game plan. They have they have a, a game to look back on to say, okay, this is how we play our best. Bobby Hurley now knows that Jalen Graham's going to be a big piece. I don't know. It just feels different than last season. It just feels like things are coming together at the right point, which maybe maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing that, that ASU isn't peaking early. Now, if they don't get in the tournament, that's a lost statement. But if they do, maybe this is this is the team that goes farther than any of Hurley's teams because it's, it's peaking early, peaking late. And it understands who it is because it had to go through some adversity early. I don't know, but that'll be an interesting thing. As for my predictions, I think they're going to beat Washington State by 12. I just don't think the the Cougars are that good. When you look at the matchup on paper, Washington State just has a terrible offense and defense. According to Ken Palm's efficiency rankings, ASU's offense is not great in those numbers but its defense is really good and that's where i think asu is going to be able to win this game on defense limit washington state's points and you're not gonna to have to do a whole lot offensively yourself against washington i keep throwing this one up i think asu wins i really do i think it's by about three or four just because i don't think washington's going to beat arizona i think asu is going to beat washington state and then you look at the dichotomy of where those two programs could be on Saturday. And it, it all sets up for an ASU win, which of course means they're probably lose by 12, but Hey, 
whatever. Um, but yeah, I think ASU wins by three or four in Seattle. Um, but let's let's recap that that Arizona game a little more, and then we'll get to Jeff Griffith. For that, we bring in Matt Moreno of GoAZCats.com. Here's our conversation. All righty, so we look back at the Saturdays, ASU 66-65 win over Arizona, and everyone in Tempe is going crazy about how ASU could overcome this 22-point deficit. But I have to imagine people in Tucson, it, it kind of feels like a um, just like a, a just a nauseating feeling of how did we give up a 22-point lead. When you watch the game, what were some of the things that stuck out to you? Like how how did this happen from a Arizona perspective? Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting. It was definitely a gut punch. I think there was people on message boards and Twitter and everywhere kind of talking to me about uh, what was this one of the worst losses that they've had, you know, in a long time. And um, a lot of people have brought up different losses they've had. Obviously, they lost to Buffalo in the NCAA tournament. That's when they always stick with fans, but. Um, yeah, this is this feels like it's up there for a lot of fans, and it was interesting because you could kind of see it coming. Um, when Arizona has lost games this season, they've looked pretty similar to what it looked like Saturday night, um, where they jump out ahead. I mean, it happened against Gonzaga, it happened against Baylor, it happened yeah. against Oregon, where you just have these games where, um, you know, their Arizona's out in front, looks like they're in control, and then all of a sudden something changes, and, and it could be a play, it could be a sequence of plays that, uh, just change the game, and Arizona can never really recover. A lot of people think, well, maybe the youth. And it's interesting, before that, you know, the game against ASU on Saturday night and the press conference leading up to it, Sean Miller specifically said this is the time of year when you can't you can't just say it's youth anymore because those players have been through, you know, half a season and have a ton of practices under their belts. And it's interesting that a lot of, that this scenario comes up and, you know, Nico Manning gets in foul trouble. Yeah. He ends up taking that last shot. And, you know, he he gets a – it's not a great shot. He up a, a three-pointer to kind of drive and drive into a lane full of bodies. So uh, it was definitely interesting to kind of see it all play out. And um, But I think the biggest thing that stood out to me, and it's something that Sean Miller brought up last year, uh, was toughness. And, and to me, there's just a lack of, of toughness. There's a lack of – I keep bringing up the word ruggedness. Uh, with okay. this team, there's just not a, not a bunch of guys with, you know, who have – rugged qualities about them, and that's something that stands out to me. Yeah, you mentioned the, that Nico got into foul trouble, and I kind of think that turned the game, because if ASU doesn't go on that 6-0 run to end the half, there's a chance U of A wins by 30. But the fact that he had to go into foul trouble, and then um, Max Hazard comes in and, and throws up the off-balance three-pointer, and then drives to the lane early, which allows the Remy Martin tip-in, that just seemed to change the momentum. For a young team, did you kind of sense that of like, oh, yeah, Arizona might be in trouble a little bit? Yeah, I think once you started to see that Nico was starting to rack up the fouls, and then you saw there was a shift. If you really pay attention to what Arizona looked like with Nico on the floor versus Nico off the floor, it was very noticeable. You don't have to be a team basketball mind to see what was going on and to see that the, the production, everything just changed when he left the floor. So when that took place, and you saw that final sequence play out in the first half, which is something Sean Miller kind of continues to come back to. Max Hazard didn't play in the second half primarily because of what happened in that sequence, and obviously ASU goes on a 6-0 run, I think, to end that first half, and yeah. uh, Nico is 
you know, on the bench, and, and he doesn't get to play for a lot of that second half, and you can just see a difference. And I think I don't think that's the only thing. I don't know that if he was out there, it was going to be a completely different game, especially in the second half. But I think when when he got in the early foul trouble, they had to take him out. I think you could definitely see uh, kind of some trouble brewing for Arizona. And um, as the game went on, and as he was not able to be out there, you could see they just didn't have a lot of answers. He is such a key piece of what they do, and yeah. um, everybody else they they don't have another true point guard. Jamal Baker is kind of the other primary ball handler, but he's not a true point guard. He's a shooting guard. He's someone yeah. that when he was coming out of high school, everyone thought of his three point shooting ability and what he's able to do as a shooter. Max has him similar. He's a little bit smaller, but he's still thought of as more of a shooter than he is a ball handler and a point guard. So they don't yeah. really have another primary point guard who they can just turn the keys over and say, hey, you run the team now. That is Nico Manning. So when they lost him, I think it definitely impacted them. But I'm not sure that that's the only reason they lost the game. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, Chase Jeter doesn't play in the game, but I was very impressed by kind of what ASU freshman Jalen Graham was able to do like defensively because – when you look at Zeke Naji, he had 21 points and 10 rebounds, but in the second half, he only had eight points, and three of his four turnovers came there. When you're watching it, what did you see from um, Zeke in the second half? Like, how was ASU able to kind of stymie him a bit? Well, I think what you have to do is just be a little bit more physical. Um, he kind of has to adjust to that. He's he's not a finesse guy by any means, but he's also not a power guy. So I think when you can kind of be a little bit more physical with him, make him work. Obviously, they, uh, a lot of teams like to trap him and just kind of get bodies to him. And you saw that on the last play. I think it, it, you saw that kind of play out as well, where uh, the reason that, you know, a couple guys were open, uh, if Josh Green, you know, kicked it out to the other wing or the other corner, there were a couple guys open because so many guys crashed on Z. Um, yeah. He's someone who commands attention from defenses. And so when you have to pay attention to him, it, it's more difficult for him when he has to go up against more than one guy. When he's just in a one-on-one situation, it becomes – a little bit easier for him. He's able to have an easier time scoring baskets, but um, I think every team in two days has done a good job of uh, trying to make things more difficult by just bringing more bodies. And um, So I think that was the key for, for them. And Obviously, he's going to get his baskets. He's going to get his points, but if you can make things a little bit more difficult, there are times when he gets a little bit frustrated, I think, and uh, maybe just throws up a shot here and there, and I think you saw that yeah. a couple times in the ASU game, but uh, if you can just make life difficult for him, it becomes a little bit more of a challenge, but you just kind of have to live with the results, and I think um, him getting what he got is, is kind of indicative of how he's gone about it all season. And for ASU, I don't think it's a huge, you know, a huge defeat for them in that sense that he was able to get 21 and 10. I mean, that's, no, no, no. That's 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 a a pretty solid game for for Zeke every game, and and you know, that's a good job by ASU of, of not making sure he didn't go completely crazy in that game. Yeah, that seems like you're almost uh, holding him a little bit just because. But I, you, you mentioned the frustrated part, and I just remember in the second half there were a few times we was at the elbow with the ball, and he was making some weird passes and doing like some odd spin moves, just stuff I had never seen from him. And it was you could tell that kind of the mistakes ASU was putting him into mistakes, or he was causing mistakes, and then they just kind of kept building off each other. Um, when you go back and look, because I, I think you probably like I did. Going into halftime, it's a 13-point game, and there's momentum on ASU's side, but um, you still think that AS, or U of A has the talent, more talent, more experience, whatever. What changed in that second half? Like, why from the first meeting? Because U of A obviously just kind of boat raced them. What happened in the second half that that was so different from the last three halves that 
um, ASU and U of A played this year? To me, there was just a complacency that you just felt like Arizona could never really get out of once they got okay. into that little place of, of just feeling comfortable. I think, I think like a lot of us in the, in the media section thought, okay, they, ASU made a run. Uh, you know, Arizona's going to respond. It'll be important to just kind of see how they come out in the second, the second start of the second half, the first five minutes of the second half, and you say, okay, let's see. You expect, I think, Arizona to make its own little run to start the second half and kind yeah. of balance things out, level things out a little bit. And then that doesn't happen. You go, okay, this is more interesting. What's going on? Then it starts to feel more similar, like I said, to some of those games that I talked about earlier, where whether it's Oregon um, or Gonzaga or some of these other games, Baylor, where uh, they really did feel in control. And then you can kind of sense a shift in, in um, that level of intensity. And I think you, that's the pattern that I'm kind of alluding to with yeah. a lot of these losses that have, that have come. Arizona looks in control for you know, a portion of the game, sometimes a lot of the game. And then there's this complacency where they just kind of settle in and uh, get calmed down. They're not as aggressive. They're not as intense. And it, it's just, it, it, it levels things out. Teams are able to come back. And then that's where that toughness comes into play where they just can't turn it back on. They can't flip that switch again. And uh, teams just want it more and are more aggressive and make the little plays that matter. And Arizona just, for whatever reason, can't find that, that switch to kind of flip it back on when they settle into that kind of level of complacency. So, to me, that's what I noticed. They kind of just got a little bit kind of lackluster, kind of just uh, toned down a little bit. There wasn't that aggressiveness, the aggressiveness. There wasn't that same level of intensity, and then they were never able to really recover and then kind of got on their heels a little bit when ASC was eventually able to take the lead, and they could just never kind of get back to what they had to open the game. Yeah. The other thing I thought was key is when Nico went out, you could kind of start to detect some of the shift, but the beginning of the first or the beginning of the second half, like you mentioned, it was like, okay, like we'll see how Arizona responds to this ASU run. And then Remy Martin comes out and has seven points, seven straight points. And it's like, now this is a ball game. And Remy finished with 24 points. I think, what was it? That was his, I believe his sixth time um, or seventh time playing U of A. And he's had 15 points in five of the, more than 15 points in five of those. Like, why has Remy Martin been so effective against the Wildcats? I think much like there was kind of some hesitation and kind of just complacency on Arizona's part, Remy has doesn't have that. I mean, there's yeah. an assertiveness. There's the kind of free, free-willing kind of, I'm just going to shoot it and you guys come stop me kind of feel <laughs> his game. And, and, and I think that bothers Arizona. I think it's one of those things where they're not ready for that. They're not expecting. They're thought of so highly in Sean Miller that what he loves to do and what, if he had his way, he would be, you know, keeping teams under 30 points every game, and he would love that. If Arizona yeah. even scored 40 points, if they could beat teams 40 to 35, he would love that because <laughs> he just loves defensive games, and that's just not what a guy like Remy Martin is about. He's about, you know, putting shots up and, and um, you know, scoring points, and, and he's done it well against Arizona. And so I think it kind of breaks the, the mold of what Arizona thinks of when they're thinking of their defensive game plan. They're not used to someone who – it's just going to be so free willing with his with his shots and just willing to take as many shots and just fire from whenever he gets the ball and wherever he is on the floor. And I think that's something that really disrupts their defense and kind of goes away from what they're used to playing. And they're used to being the aggressor, I think, in a lot of ways, both offensively but especially defensively, where they really want to impose their will and say, no, you're going to play our style. And I think it's just very difficult for them to do that against someone like Remy who is willing to take shots and is willing to kind of do the thing uh, that, that kind of disrupts what they do. And, I know, and I mentioned this leading into the game, someone like Rob Edwards, too. A three-pointer yeah. like that. He doesn't have a fantastic day, but he hits a few shots, and it felt like every one of his three-pointers came at important times. And, and I yeah. think that's something else 
Sean Miller talks about him a lot every time they play ASU, and I think he's another one of those guys that they really, that concerns them just because he is willing to take, you know, a bunch of three-pointers and is willing to take yeah. shots from wherever on the floor. And those types of players, for whatever reason, disrupt Arizona. And I think when you saw, you know, what, what happened earlier in the month, uh, you're not making as many of those shots, so it doesn't feel like it did Saturday night. But when those shots start to go in, I think yeah. Arizona, it's the same style of play for Arizona. They're still trying to figure it out. Just the shots aren't going in, and then the shots go in on Saturday night, and you have, you know, a different result. Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned Rob Edwards because, like you, uh, it kind of felt like he had such a big impact on the game that every three he hit was just monstrous. But then you look at his uh, stat line, he's 6 for 16, 3 of 12 from 3 with, like, 15 points. It's, like, pretty almost underwhelming in a sense, but it just seemed like every time he hit a shot, it was just big. Um, Just to kind of gauge the pulse in Tucson, this is obviously a rivalry win for ASU, but... It seems like just kind of looking at, at your guys' coverage at Goazi Cats and, and gauging kind of the poll Twitter, it almost seems like that Arizona fans are more concerned with the Wildcats going forward than mad about losing to a rival. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think so. Because I think fans are looking at the bigger picture, and I think they understand that this is a, a different kind of uh, season for, for college basketball for the Pac-12. So, yeah. It, it, so losses aren't going to be as important. Um, but I think, again, I think that when you look at pattern that Arizona is going through right now, it's very similar. There's been a lot of uh, instances that have come up this season that are things that fans have picked apart in other years under Sean Miller. So I think they're starting to see more of the pattern, and, and that's more concerning because that's more indicative of not – it's just not a one-off. It's not just some random thing that happened against ASU on the road in a high-energy type of atmosphere where – you know, you, you just chalk that one up to, hey, it's, it's part of the rivalry. I think for fans, they understand they don't want to lose to ASU, but I think they also understand this is starting to look very similar to a lot of the losses that have happened this year and in other gotcha. years. And that's a little bit more concerning to them because they're trying to think in the big picture. And their ultimate goal is to get back to the Final Four, and something they haven't done in a very, very long time. And so when they, they look at the loss, yes, it, I think it bothers them, but it's a lot about, hey, the bigger picture and what, what is the direction of this program because the things that are negative about what happened Saturday night are not just uh, uh, specific to what happened, you know, against ASU. There's things that have piled up over the course of the season and even over the course of the last few years. So I think that it's just a lot of their focus is on, hey, and the first thing on Arizona fans' minds every day when they wake up is, hey, we need to get back to a Final Four. So yeah. that is kind of the thing that, that resonates throughout the program and everything kind of comes back to that, whether it's a loss to ASU, whether it's a loss to Baylor, Gonzaga, even good teams like that, it's, it, they start to look at the pieces and how these things are happening. Right now, there's a certain pattern about how Arizona is going about its games and when it loses games, how it looks. And I think that's, that's the bigger concern for them right now. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for, for taking the time and kind of recapping the uh, Saturday's game and giving an outlook from Tucson. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks to Matt Moreno from GoAZCats.com for any Arizona inquiries. Go check out his site and his Twitter page for all your news from Tucson. And that brings us to the reunion. Here's my conversation with Jeff Griffith. All righty. And we bring in a very, very, very special guest. I honestly didn't think the day would come. But here oh, you are. Jeff Griffith is back on the pull-up chase. How does it feel? It's got to be exhilarating. We've got we've got the band back together, man. It's it's a it's a good feeling. It's 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 bringing back a lot of bad memories, but it's nice to have some play. 
earlier back in my life. Um, I thought I, I thought I got myself fully separated from covering ASU sports, but uh, happy to come. It, it back. had to be a traumatic experience. Oh, it was uh, it was one of the more difficult parts of my life, but uh, I made it through. Made it uh, came out unscathed on the other side. Um, Congratulations, that's a big. Talk a little basketball, you know. The so Jeff, I, what? I was going to say the one the one sport I truly love. Wow. Well, drum corps international is not a sport, but that's what Jeff is doing right now. What's that's your position title? It's some uh, kind of mumbo jumbo. Yes, it is mumbo. It's corporate mumbo jumbo. Yeah, sure. It's a content marketing specialist. Basically, it's a fancy way to say I make website content and run our social media channels. Wow, that's. And for three well months rating. of the summer, and for three months of the summer, lord my power over intern Jordan Kidd. <laughs> ah, it was brutal. Dear, brutal three months. Jordan, do your listeners know that you interned for Drum Corps International, and that's the most interesting thing your resume? To I make? don't. I don't think so. I don't even know if I put it on my resume. It was that uh, that tough. Even though that's the biggest following you've ever had, and it's not even close. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Probably. All right, the, Jeff. The most readership you ever had in your career, by far. Not even a, not even a competition. Uh, who knows? All right, Jeff. We move on because <laughs> I can't imagine. I, I could do this I, all day. You sure you want to move I, on? I know. I know. I, that's that was what I was nervous about. <laughs> Jeff, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that you spend your days watching Pac-12 basketball. But still, I get a text, and it's like, hey, uh, bring me on the poll, please, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, uh, all right. No, you no. Get it. Don't act like I, you reached out to me a while ago saying you want to have me on. And I Did I? To, I reached out to see if you still wanted to do that. Don't act like I'm here begging to be on this this podcast, okay? All right. Okay, okay. But, yeah, have you watched Have you watched a single ASU basketball game this season? No! I didn't think, yeah. I mean, ah, wait, I really That's didn't. not true. That's not true. I watched the final minute and a half of ASU Virginia and saw, like, one basket. Because that game's Yes. Tough. Yes, that was a uh, defensive, sh- offensive struggle, as they yeah. say. But, Virginia. Jeff, we never had you on for any basketball expertise. No, Or of anything of that nature. No, you somehow it. are uh, the Lenardi of the West and make wow. and compile brackets. Wow. Sometimes good, sometimes they're inaccurate. Who's counting, though? When was tell me when I was inaccurate, Jordan? I'd like to hear your your explanation of that. I I don't know. I heard Lenardi beat you last year, or the year before. Because <gasps> he had Belmont. People forget. I don't. Sorry. Oh, All right, Jeff. But the the main question. See, I wasn't really going to have you on because I was like, ASC is not making a tournament. No point in having Jeff on. But then they beat Arizona. And right. now people are like, what do they need to do to make the tournament? I still think it's a long way away, but you've actually kind of crunched some of the numbers. So yeah. like, how realistic, how not realistic is it that they get into the tournament? So you want the pass. What? Do you want to know where they stand right now, or do you want to know the pass to March? Both. Okay. Well, right now, like you said, the only reason we're having this conversation is because of everything they did when I went to bed on Saturday night. If they don't erase that 22-point deficit, um, we're not having this conversation, and I'm a much happier man. But um, <laughs> in terms of a signature win, that was pretty much it. Like, they've got a couple other Q1 opportunities. Again, there it is, Jordan, Q1. Um, I know. But, you, oh, you know you missed hearing Q1 and Q2. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
But they've got a few more quadrant opportunities, Oregon at Stanford, at USC, and at Washington. Um, but, like, one – Stanford's all, a quadrant one game at bro, Stanford? Stanford is number 18 in the net. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Neither did I. <laughs> but, 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 one, we all know what road games and conference look like for ASU. And, two, Arizona is still better than all those teams. So this was, like, the win. This was the best chance to beat – this is the closest thing you were going to get to Kansas. You know what I mean? Yeah. So now they have that. And they don't really have any bad losses. I think their worst loss is in Quadrant 2, which is fine. Um, I mean, six of their losses are in Quad 1. So um, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. And metrics-wise, in the mid-50s in net, which is always going to – if you're in the top 60, you're going to be in, like, the general conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Ken Palm is ghastly. Their Ken Palm is, like, 78. Yeah, that was so- – that was that's what I've good. been looking at, and that's why I kind of thought they were so far out of it. Yeah, that's not good. Um, but so, like, as of today, if I'm if I'm like, obviously, I'm not making brackets on the weekly this year. It's just I don't have time. Um, but as of today, I'd say they're well on the outside looking in. I'd probably say like next four out category, or sorry, just beyond the next four out category. So like the eleventh or twelfth team outside the field for reference. Okay. Bracket. Bracket Matrix says they're 12 outside the field. So, like, okay. you've got 68 teams. They're, like, team 80. Um, but, um, yeah, there's definitely a path. And I can kind of paint that picture for you if you'd like. Let's do it. Let's do uh, it. So, looking at a, I'm looking at ASU's schedule. ASU, first off, just, just looking at what they've done and what college basketball looks like this year, they're in a similar boat to, like, a metric ton of college basketball teams. Okay. They have a mediocre resume, not a ton of, like, big opportunities left, but yeah. definitely a clear path because they haven't lost to anybody bad. So, like, if ASU has the same record right now, but tackle on, like, a Princeton loss to last year, goodness gracious, they need to win, like, 11 more games. Yeah. But they haven't lost anybody bad. So they haven't, like, nothing they've done has, like, nothing they've done looks particularly terrible. Yeah. They just haven't put together a resume yet that's like, okay, yeah, that's March. So the path is, first and foremost, I'd say, if I'm going to be generalistic, to probably win eight of the last 12 games, maybe nine. Does that that eight or nine include the Pac-12 tournament? um, I'm not going to – championship week is such a toss-up, but I'm not going to – I don't – at this point of the season, I don't like to to include that into the factor here – I I want to tell you what they need to do to feel good going into that week. Gotcha. Because it's such a toss-up. They could win four games. They could win. They could lose their first game by thirty. It's champ week is so weird. Yes. So as much as we like to factor that in, is like a especially when you're you know if you're a fan of ASU, you're rooting for a team that's in the bubble. When you're rooting for a team that's in the bubble, trust me, I have experience. You yeah. want to you want to find every possible win remaining, and championship week is where you can find extra extras of those. So I get that, but. For this purposes, I kind of just want to talk about what they can do before that because it's such a toss up. Um, yeah. I'm going to say eight or nine wins before championship week to feel good entering Pac 12 tournament. If they have like 19 wins entering, is it still in Vegas? Yes. Okay, entering Vegas, um, you're going to want to win two or three just to be sure. But yeah. uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put your win total at like 20 or 21 to feel really good entering um, entering Pac 12 tournament play. Um, so yeah, they can lose four games. Which, when I look yeah. at the schedule, like maybe one of they play Washington twice. Maybe one of those. Yeah. Probably going to lose to Oregon. 
Right. And then you throw in well, maybe at Stanford, right. maybe like a USC, and there's four right there. It's like well, let me let me stop you there for a second. I should, I'm not, you're completely you're completely right in what you're in what you're saying. Thank um, you. I, yeah. I do think I do think though it's not just as simple as eight wins, regardless of where they come from. And here's why: you got eight your, good wins. Well, it's got to be eight throw wins. Throw in throw in a few high I don't quadrant think, ones, like an Oregon. I don't maybe. think ASU is going to the tournament with two quad one wins. Right now, they have yeah, one. I, they need, I yeah. think they need. I I think they need three to feel solid. So now you yeah. look at the schedule. You've got your must wins. You have to beat. Oregon State at home, Wazoo at home, UCLA at home, and Cal on the road. Those are your bad losses, your landmines. You yeah. can't lose. You've got your should wins at Wazoo and at UCLA. Those are road games against, like, Q2, Q3-ish teams that you can see a loss, but you don't want to because, like, like, that's – it's not like a – those aren't, like, detrimental losses, but those are the games yeah. that if you want to win eight games, you need to take care of business in a winnable game like that. So now you're 18 – and you've got four other games left, and they're all your Q1 games. You're home against Oregon, at Stanford, at USC, at Washington. And in my opinion, you need to, you need, you don't need, but you'd really like to split those. Okay. okay. Which means you're either beating Oregon or you're winning at least one game on the road, if not two. Gotcha. And that's the scary problem. Is I think, um, assuming, and this is quite the assumption, that ASU can take care of business in those six easier games, the – um, the ones that should wins and must wins we mentioned a couple seconds ago. Um, yeah. I think you probably got to win two or three of those of uh, those six more difficult games, tacking on the home games against USC and Washington. Those are the other games I didn't mention. Those are Q2 games. Yeah. Um, but the quad one games is really where it gets interesting. I think of those six quad one and quad two games, um, again, just for clarity, Oregon at Stanford, home and away USC, home and away Washington. Probably need to win three of those-ish, give or take. But yeah. you'd like two of those to be the quad ones, right? So yeah. that means, for all intents purposes, you've got to win on the road. Um, and you've probably got to sweep somebody, whether it's USC or Washington, or you have to pick off Oregon. So pick your poison. There's like, there's like three. Basically, you've got your six obvious, like, win these games. And then there's like three different scenarios wherein you pull off one of these three things and you're looking good, and it's beat Oregon, win two out of three of those Q1 road games, or sweep USC or Washington. Gotcha. Okay. In general. Um, if I want to simplify it and I give you a checklist, I've got four to-dos for ASU to make the tournament. If anyone wants to keep track at home. Don't lose to bad teams at all. Which, so bad teams being the Oregon State, Washington State, State, UCLA, and Cal. No, Cal. Okay. Yes. Cal is still bad. Cal, I remember we talked a lot about how bad Cal was like net 270 last year. They're much better, but they're still like borderline Q4 if you play them at home. Granted, I guess on the road, but they're like 155. Okay, this is, and I tried to talk about it a little bit, but this is where I think the pack build is so different. Is like, there were times last year where that loss to Washington State at home felt like just a dagger. Where it's like all these losses or the Pac-12 is enough to where really no loss is like just a complete landmine. Now where ASU is now at 12-7 and and not really have that Kansas win, those become landmines. But it's not like uh, uh, just definite quad four loss. 
if you yeah. lose to like a Cal or Washington State, as the case was the last two years. Right. Um, in that vein, that's the like I said, that's the number, the first thing on my checklist. Um, okay. If you do want to get into the tournament, uh, is just don't lose to those bad teams. And knowing you and I, I mean, together we covered two years this team. You're now on your third. Um, we know that's so much easier said than done. Yeah. For Arizona State <laughs> basketball. Well, they almost – was it at home? To, there was a game against Cal in the last few years that they either lost or almost lost, and I'm kind of blanking on it. Uh, I think it might have been last year on the road. It was like a close win. Um, I think you're I right. Think, I, I, some, they lost at Stanford. You know, like they, like they that, a, I think, Yeah, the Stanford one was – Yes, you and, love to lose to the team that, they, that, they, that you're always talking about. Oh, this is a must-win for X, Y, and Z tournament reasons. Um, but second, well, thing, I forgot uh, about the Washington State one last year. I forgot it was eleven yeah. points. Well, that was the night oh. that I lost the credibility. Yes, that is right. That is yeah. true. Because I have that, believe what? that loss does not make or break a season. Mm. And you you lost the credibility because uh, they made the tournament. No, I when I gained the credibility back. Mm. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're remembering right. your facts wrong. I said I, I, I know. Wazoo won. I said ASU wasn't out of it. I lost the credibility. They shockingly made the tournament. But that's the conversation for another day. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. But the other three things I think ASU has to do. I mentioned this earlier, but I'm just trying to put it in concise terms. Lose to bad teams is number one. So I'm sorry. Don't lose to bad teams is number one. <laughs> <laughs> two. You lose to all the bad teams. You're golden. No. Two. Uh, you gotta let you gotta at least win one road game out of Stanford, USC, and Washington. That's a have to. You have to win one of those three, in my opinion. Okay. But if you can't win two of them, you're gonna have to beat Oregon at home for good measure. That's okay. like two and three are kind of go together. Like win two out of three on the road of those three teams, or win one of them and beat Oregon. That's kind of the combination I see. Um, and then four, as I said earlier. 20 wins. That's the number I'm telling you. If you can get to 20, you'll feel solid during championship week, I think, looking at this this bubble. The fact that ASU is 12-7 and seven and in the conversation says a lot about where college many, basketball is this year. Yeah, I so think. many teams. Yeah. Virginia is 13-7. Like, there are bubble yeah. teams. Arizona is 13-6 and 10th and in and net. Like, That's the weird losing. one. Teams are losing games left and right. Like every Ohio State was number one in the country, and they have like 13 wins right now. That is the craziest like, thing when you go back and look at the, the history of the net. That Ohio State two years in a row opened up as the number one team in the net. I know. They, just, they need to hang a banner like number one in the were, net. Last year they barely made it as an 11. Yeah. And who knows if they're this year? But right now, oh, I don't. I don't know if they're making it this year. Right now, from what I see, I feel like they're in like that eight, nine, ten range, but falling. Yeah. You know, yeah. they just lost to, oh, they beat us Western, but they lost to someone before that. It was like six losses in a row or something like that. They're like they last in the Big Ten. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember all the specifics of where they're at right now, but I know they've lost a lot of games once Big Ten game play started. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, so that's the kind of the path I see. Um, we can. I know you mentioned talking about some of the Pac-12. Do you want to get into that? But I just uh, want to know how many teams realistically do you think the Pac-12 are going to get? Because I look at it right now, and I have the standings pulled up, and you yep. got 17 and four Oregon, they're going to make it. You got 16 and four Colorado, probably going to make it. 16 and four USC, probably going to make it. And then you go 15 and four Stanford, probably. And then U of A, ASU, I think are those the two teams on the fringe. I think U of A is making it just because of their wins. And then it's like, okay, does ASU get in? 
am I correct on that saying that AS, or the Pac-12 right now has locked five teams and then ASU is the, the one that could or could not get in? I don't know about locked. Okay. Maybe I not locked. I guess if I, Arizona loses the next – or three of the next four, then, yeah, they're probably not I in. think there's three teams that look like they're in good shape. Okay. Yes. Arizona, Oregon, and Colorado look like they're in good shape. Okay. Um, Oregon, resume-wise, probably takes the cake there. Um, Arizona as well. I feel like those are those two are kind of like in like the five six range right now. I feel like so they're in pretty good shape. Colorado's somewhere around there as well. Stanford feels like they're in, but not like by a ton. Like they're not like way in. They're not like a five C, but they're definitely like firmly in right now. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and then USC would be the fifth team that I'd say is on the right side of the bubble right now. Okay. Um, Washington, I'd say, is right on the wrong side, like just on the wrong side. And then ASU a little further back from that. Both of those two have work to do. Um, but I'm not locking anybody into the field right now for sure. Just I feel like you can lock Oregon in. But, but I would feel very confident betting you money that Oregon and U of A and Colorado all make the tournament. Yeah. Just so what, you're what saying. they've done to date and what they expect them to do here on in. I think there are three teams who you could confidently bet money on them making it to the tournament. And um, then you think that... USC, Stanford, and ASU are, and Washington are in somewhat toss-ups. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't want to call Stanford a toss-up because I feel pretty good about where they're at right now. I just don't feel like they've locked it in yet. They have a great resume numbers-wise, but they haven't done anything to, like, there's a reason they're not in the top 25. Like, they haven't caught anybody's eye. They haven't done a thing that was like, wow, look at Stanford. They just won a lot of non-conference games and have a good SOS. Yeah. Like, that's why their metrics are high. But their 10 palms, nothing special. Their net is just high. So right yeah. now, because of that, I think they're in good shape. But if they continue, if they, if when they get tested, if they start losing to the Arizonas and the Colorados and the Oregons of the world, and even the ASUs and Washingtons, and we see, okay, this is what they really were all along, that's the scenario where I see them not making it. But right now, they feel pretty comfortable to me. And then USC, Washington, ASU are your toss-ups. You, uh, Utah and Oregon State, are like in like that not dead but dying category, yeah. like that that kind of thing that it's like oh my gosh if they run the table like they could they could easily make it but like you know they're not doing that um, yeah. and then the rest of the pack always played its way out so I, if I'm the betting man five teams you know okay. it's gonna be this is gonna be like last two years where you had three teams and at least one of them was in the first four yeah there might be a All team right. in the first four but it won't be one of three teams fair um, last question just for everyone out there can you kind of explain why ASU's net is higher than its Ken Palm, and it, it, why does it have such a just disastrous Ken Palm? Well, net, net looks into, obviously, it, net is a resume metric, and Ken Palm is an efficiency metric. That's the thing you always remember. Ken Palm doesn't go up because you beat somebody good. Ken Palm goes up because you played efficiently and played well statistically. So basically what that disparity says is that ASU's resume is solid, but they're not necessarily playing amazing basketball, if that makes sense. Like, they're not, like, gotcha. playing great X's and O's basketball on the floor, but their wins and losses have combined to make a more respectable resume than what their efficiency might be. So that basically means you haven't lost anybody bad, you've got a good win, so your net's solid. Your Ken Pop I think like the fact that, um, you know, maybe they don't play – I forget where, where their often defense rankings lie it's... in the Ken Pop. I have but, it right here. 
They're 171st in the country in offensive efficiency, 32nd in the country in defensive efficiency. Okay. Repeat that again. 171st in offensive efficiency, 32nd in defensive efficiency. Okay, well, that tells me that they're scraping by in low-scoring, ugly games, and, and their 10 palm reflects that. Yep. I, I mean, I think anyone that's watched ASU would, would agree that their resume is not terrible, but in no way have they showed to be a uh, a, a good or confidence-inducing basketball team. So w- when you just put that out, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense to people. Yeah, sounds about right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff, for uh, for taking the time at your lunch break to uh, to join. So, man, what you started the pull up Jays. Wow, it has to be just a bittersweet homecoming for you. Mostly bitter. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, have a great day, and uh, thanks for coming on. Anytime. Thanks to Jeff and Matt for coming on. Really appreciate the conversations. That'll do it for this week. ASU plays Washington State on Wednesday night at 9 Arizona time and then goes to Seattle to play Washington on Saturday. Follow Devil's Digest for all your coverage. Should be articles both night and live tweeting the games. Until next week, thanks again. 